Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the breakthrough success coach and your powerful presence mentor. Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. I am your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the exponential success coach. Today, I have with me a pharmacist, a salsa dancer, and a conflict resolution coach. It is not three people I have with me. Today, I have with me, I'm really excited. I have Jerry Fu with me today. Um, it's Dr. Jerry, isn't it? If you're a pharmacist. Technically, yeah. I, I don't, I, I should leverage the title more often, but I don't. So <laughs> it's okay. All right. Well, Dr. Jerry Fu, I also found out that you're a bicyclist, like you go on bike tours. Uh, so not just salsa dancing, but you keep yourself pretty active. Uh, we're going to talk mostly about conflict resolution and leadership today. That mm -hmm. said, you don't just land in conflict resolution. You don't just land there, or nor do you come out of... Uh, being a pharmacist to uh, become a conflict resolution coach. So, so I'm curious, Jerry, about all of that. I'm curious about your journey. Um, where'd you start? I know you're in Houston, Texas today. Um, where'd you get your start? Where, like, how did you decide, oh, I think I'll be a pharmacist because you don't just wake up and decide that one day. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's not on the list of like firefighter or astronaut or a of a noble elementary school callings. Um, it started, and just this is the hook, I guess. It started when I got a C in organic chemistry in college. And okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh I was kind of pre-med by default, basically. And you know, I had family, uh lots of family members who were uh doctors, including my grandfather, who had practiced medicine in Taiwan for over 50 years. So big big standard to to hold up to and he wanted to see me his oldest grandson become a physician so sorry grandpa <laughs> and uh among other things right so uh, like my major is like process of elimination well can't do econ can't do business can't do you know don't like all these other things so biology sure uh and so yeah after the scene organic chemistry i said well i still want to do healthcare of some kind so I said, well, you know, if I'm too embarrassed at the risk of getting rejected by med school, what other professions could I try? So I convinced pharmacy school I would make a good pharmacist. And uh, so I went off to pharmacy school. So to kind of give some geographical background, I was in Tennessee for a good chunk of my life. I finished high school there. And then I came to Houston. My first uh, stint in Houston was for college. And so I was at Rice. And uh, that's where I got humbled and <laughs> chose pharmacy. Uh, moved back up to Tennessee, uh, specifically in Memphis, to finish pharmacy school. And then after I finished pharmacy school, moved back to Knoxville, where my family was, and I worked for a chain pharmacy for about five years. And this was a, a tough decision initially because my parents, who are immigrants from Taiwan, uh, were insistent that me working for this chain pharmacy was the stability that my dad never had in his career, having two master's degrees, one in computer science, one in, chem in chemical engineering. And so they said, hey, you know, work for them for 20 years, bank away money aggressively, and then maybe one day you'll finally, you know, have the autonomy you want in your life. And after five years, they said, nope, I, I can't, 
I'm not interested in playing your long game. Like this is no longer something that is acceptable to me. And so when I decided on something else, I said I wanted to get into teaching students, but since I didn't have a conventional doctorate or a residency to get into pharmacy school teaching, um, a friend of mine was kind enough to help me get the chance to interview for a teaching position through a pharmacy consulting company that I moved back to Houston for. So 13 years ago now, I moved back to Houston to take on this job, thought it'd be the last job I ever needed until I got fired 11 months later. And that was the first reality check because at my chain pharmacy job, even if I messed up or even if I slacked off, they would be mad at me, but they knew I was better than like 70% of the workforce. So they, they were like, well, we, you know, he's not pulling his weight entirely, but we know overall he's, he's a, he's a good worker. So we're just going to have to tolerate this. But when I worked for the smaller company, I learned quickly and it took me a long time to appreciate this lesson is that they're not paying you to give you stories as to why you didn't get the job done, why it's like their, their expectations were too high. They're paying you to get the job done. And so uh, after 11 months of very generous time of trying to get me to see this light, uh, they said, no, you, you got to go. So uh, first reality check. The second reality check happened when I stumbled into another job six weeks later where four of my paychecks bounced, filling for crooked doctors. And so not only was I jeopardizing my license, um, the guy wasn't even paying me. And, you know, how do you confront the guy who's clearly ripping you off? They don't teach you this, right? And so, again, after chasing a couple paychecks while hoping that I didn't get into too much trouble, my friends got me out of that job with a company that was more legitimate, but couldn't pay me more than eight hours a week. And so I said, well, what do I do? And they said, well, you can get more hours if you cover at our Austin location. And so I said, well, beggars can't be choosers. So, and I could end up in more cities. So I just went out there and, and worked for a little bit. No idea what my life was going to look like. And then that summer, this is 2012 now, that summer was key because some friends of mine who run a pharmacy leadership nonprofit um, said, hey, we know you've been facilitating workshops on the on the pharmacy paternity side, but one of our leadership facilitators backed out, can you help present this material? And I said, absolutely. And so teaching leadership helped kind of change my thinking around whether or not I could become a good leader or an effective one. Because before I just didn't believe it was possible. I didn't like confrontation. I didn't think I could ever be good at it. And now after teaching leadership material, I said to myself, well, what if I could be a good leader? What would that look like? How would I carry myself? What kind of work would that involve? And so when a full-time manager position opened up in Houston, um, I, I said, yeah, I want to sleep in my own bed again. I want to take on this challenge. I can't stay safe. It was a great team in Austin, but I knew I couldn't afford to just stay scared. So I said, yeah, I want to take on this challenge. And when the company had their funding pulled the following year, uh, just the owners decided it was no longer a viable option for them. The only reason to get an opportunity to interview with my next company was that I had leadership experience on my resume. So I tell people all the time, leadership saved my career. And even then, the job options that opened up for me weren't very sustainable. They would die after like one or two years just because the business models didn't hold up well against competition. And so about six years ago now, I said, well, you know, I'm tired of chasing scripts from other doctors. I'm, I'm tired of fighting insurance companies that dictate my worth. But I love this people development thing. You know, what if I try to make a career out of coaching and facilitating? And still very scared of failure and rejection. So it was just an occasional hobby until I was in the middle of my formal coach training when the pandemic hit. And then from there, I said, well, ah, how much longer am I going to put up this dream? So that's how that started. And the specific focus on conflict resolution is, if you can't already pick up on it, 
uh, it's a personal struggle. Uh, one where I've had to deal with a number of situations where not having the difficult conversation was holding me back. And I didn't want to admit that until the consequences got too severe. And so some of the situations I've had to deal with that kind of made me realize I had to make this, you know, a focal point was that, you know, I had to evict a roommate at one point and that wasn't fun. Uh, at one point I served as a Sunday school class director and my second day on the job, I found out that a newer guy was sexually harassing a woman in the class. And they told me, Jerry, you're director. You got to go handle this. And of course they, they have me though. There's no manual for this. <laughs> you know? So, you know, and so I just realized, you know, I think, I, I have a heart for Asian American leaders who are going through these same similar struggles where they realize, hey, you know what? I have a boss that's really treating me poorly. How do I confront them without possibly getting fired? You know, I have direct reports who don't seem to respect me when I tried to hold them accountable. How do I do it in such a way where they would actually take me seriously? So, um, yeah, I saw, we, we like to joke. Sometimes you choose your niche. Sometimes it chooses you. And so oh, yeah. in this case. In this case, it's more about, yeah, I, I didn't want to pick this pain point, but um, now I have, I, I struggled with it so long, it, it actually became fascinating. So I think kind of, that's a journey. You've, uh, I was taking notes along the way. This is, yeah. um, your journey is so important. And um, there are several pieces that I want to, uh, that I want to reflect on for you mm. and for our audience, right? That. You set down this path and there are people in your life, typically parents, grandparents, who have expectations for you. Mm -hmm. And at some point you choose and you say, yes, I want to live into that or nope, sorry, grandpa. You know, but at some point you, you, you say, I actually have a life that I want to choose. Um, and then, and then you set off down that path and at some point, also, you realize that that, while fulfilling, sort of, isn't the life you want to get locked into. And I think mm -hmm. this is, it is so important that we recognize that we do have choice all along the way. Mm -hmm. um, you said some, you said a couple of things. Uh, you asked yourself two amazing questions. Um, and I really want to highlight this because. I think our audience could, you know, as you're listening to this or watching this, I think that you could ask yourself this question. What if I could be a good leader? You know, what if is a really great, great question. What if I could be a good leader? Um, that's huge. The other, the other one is, and this is a, a passion of mine. How much longer will I put off this dream? How much longer will I put off this dream? Um, I call it listening to whispers that at some point your heart starts, starts talking to you and you go, well, I'm feeling pulled, but all the shoulds are pushing me over here, but I'm feeling pulled. And I think the question of really, how much longer will I put off this dream where I'm being pulled toward, where you're listening to the whispers that are saying over here, over here and you're like no no i should go this way i love that you asked that question and i love that uh you stepped into then it was almost your area of pain 
that you didn't run from conflict. You said, I must deal with it. And I think that that's huge too. And I just, you know, as I do interviews with various people, I love to pause and go, this part of your journey is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. And where, you know, your pain point was conflict. Mm-hmm. And it was conflict with bosses. It was conflict with a roommate. It was mm-hmm. uh, ultimately, it was conflict with yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, and to step in and go, okay, um, I'm kind of an expert in this now. <laughs> yeah. Right? So, yeah. so you developed actually a business based on conflict resolution here's what's interesting by the way uh backing up into a piece that's in your bio though you haven't mentioned it yet is the salsa dancing Mm -hmm. salsa requires you to be a leader Mm -hmm. right that you know the uh bicycle touring requires that you just get super focused and you have persistence pedal 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 head down go um salsa dancing requires leadership Mm -hmm. and um and continuous learning and continuous improvement can you talk about that as a process for you as an overlay for learning conflict resolution because i'm i am a hundred percent certain that it inner uh it, it overlaps and and interweaves oh absolutely yeah there is no no doubt that the the parallel tracks start to intertwine and they actually complement each other very well um yeah the the salsa dancing journey involves a, a switch from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset just like my willingness to step into identity as a leader uh, because when I first learned salsa dancing, the lesson was terrible. But if you don't know that's a terrible lesson, you just think you're bad at it. <laughs> you know? So you're like, I I must not be good at this, as opposed to, no, that was a bad lesson. And it wasn't until halfway through pharmacy school when a friend of mine said, hey, you have to give it another shot. Like, take some real lessons and, you know, see what happens. And by then, you know, my grades had congealed to a point where I, I, I could spend a little more time taking a break and so yeah actually took some lessons actually started to get good at it and then it took many years like to actually have the right mindset and confidence just because i wasn't practicing enough and so i would lose confidence get rusty but i would miss it and that was an unproductive cycle and uh it wasn't until about nine years ago when um that skill set stayed dormant until you know a friend invited me to a free salsa dancing event in downtown houston and I saw one skilled, pretty blonde, and I said, I got to dance with her. And then I just threw everything I could on the dance floor and felt so alive. And asked myself why I stayed away from it for so long. And then I said, nope, I have to make this a part of my life again. So that's that. And how that translates into conflict resolution is the willingness to, number one, lead. Know that you are you have to control the narrative or dictate the narrative. You have to dictate the direction of the conversation. And literally, you have to think on your feet because, as anyone uh, in this space knows, no plan survives attack by reality. And so when things go off the rails, how well can you improv, right? How well can you improvise to still find a way to get your points across? And the only way you get better at improvising is to improvise more. (laughs) And so uh, between being creative, between improvising, between keeping your eye on the target, 
or at least having, and, and you, you can even look at it like chess, right? You need to stay a couple moves ahead. That's another fun thing that it all just throw it all in the giant conflict resolution, you know, uh, soup recipe, right? Those are all elements that you can get a taste of, even though some people like to emphasize one over the other. That's great. I, uh, again, you know, from my notes, as you're talking, I love this part. Salsa requires leadership. Years of uh, getting good at it. Your screen is frozen again, just so you oh, know. No. Um, yeah. Years of getting good at it, which means that you have persistence. And I think that that is something that you just have to recognize as a human, that you don't start out great at something. You might have a a love for it. You might have a propensity towards it, that it might be something you're kind of good at to get really great at something. It does take practice and it takes uh, stepping in. Salsa also gave you the, the kind of understanding that you have to have a willingness to lead. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I love that. And literally thinking on your feet, mm -hmm. um, right. The, the improv is a piece of the leadership piece. It's a piece of the dancing piece and having fun is all part of it. And um, I, I also love no plan survives reality. Mm -hmm. um, and that is the point of real leadership. I think is that, having a plan, having an outcome in mind, but not being so tied to this is going to happen, then this, then this, then this. I joke that there are some people that when they plan picnics, they are so tied to exactly six ants will walk across the tablecloth at this mm -hmm. point um, that they miss the idea that there's a beautiful picnic. If yeah. there's only four ants or if there's 12 ants, you know, if, um, it, you know, if the if the exact spoon you want, it isn't there, you know, so you plan a picnic and the wind picks up. OK, then what? Right. So that's your life. That is each of us have this life. And um, you, you called it improv, the ability to improv. Mm -hmm. Um, recognizing that you do that on purpose mm -hmm. is a leadership skill, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. you got through conflict and you got into coaching mm -hmm. and especially Asian American coaching yeah. uh, for people in conflict who are at a place of, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Talk about some of the things, some of, first of all, some of the people you're dealing with, Mm -hmm. um, and secondly, what are some of the key issues? Because they go beyond uh, any ethnic group, right? It's, yeah. it's yeah. your specialty as Asian Americans. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I think each of us can learn from any of the circumstances that you've dealt with and, mm -hmm. and how you've provided guidance. Can you go into that just a little bit. Yeah, yeah, let me share some very concrete examples of, you know, real client situations, right? So uh, one client uh, worked for a boss who was passive aggressive, like to play around in the gray so that, you know, if we wanted to get mad at you, you could find always find something. Uh, at one point, uh, she was out to dinner with friends after hours. He tried calling her, she lets the call go to voicemail. And the next day, he just blows up at her and just, questions her commitment to the company, you know, well, how dare you ignore my call? That's entirely disrespectful. If I need you, it doesn't matter how urgent the issue is, you need to, you know, 
be responsive. And, you know, she asked me how in the world do I possibly restore this relationship, but not let my frustrations boil over to the point where he might fire me if I set off the wrong tripwire. Right. And so that, that, specific case is special because that helped me uh, design the framework that I give away on my website. And so the first step we walked through was to imagine what a successful conversation would sound like. You know, are you looking for an apology? Are you looking to hold him to clearer standards? Like, what do you exactly want out of this conversation, right? Envision what you think should happen and believe that it's possible. It doesn't have to be likely, it just needs to be possible. The second step is to find 10 seconds of courage to set up a time to talk or to initiate the conversation. So whether you pick up the phone, send that email, send that text, the goal for conflict diverse people like myself and the people I need to help or have feel called to help is that you set the boulder in motion and lock the gate behind you because our first instinct is to rationalize and downplay and procrastinate, right? Maybe let me just sleep on it another day. Maybe I'm just a little, still a little too angry. Let me calm down a little bit. Well, it's like, well, if, even if you're already calm, like what's one more day going to do for you? Not a lot. Your resentment is right. probably going to boil over, right? So set the boulder in motion. Don't give yourself a way out to backtrack. Okay. Hey, is now a good time to talk? Okay. Some people like to script before they initiate this. And some people like to initiate and then start to improvise because they already have an idea. But the point is, you want to set up something to hold yourself accountable. The third step I, we walked through was to script your critical phrases to say, okay, what specifically do you want to address, right? Um, what do you want to say? How do you think he'll respond? And then how will you counter his counters, right? You want to be able to get your thoughts out on paper and get them organized in a cohesive manner because you don't want to trust that you'll remember everything in the moment. You want to prepare your script step four is to rehearse these critical moves right train in the dojo before you fight on the street get some reps on the practice field before you step out into the game role play with a friend check yourself in front of a mirror record yourself on your phone make sure you don't trip over your words when it counts and then step five follow through right that follow through i was thinking about how to really expand and flesh out these steps early today actually i said you know what does it mean to follow through well, you know, improv, right? Like come up with metaphors to get your point across. Or, you know, there are certain things to say, hey, you know what, if he's not, if he's not responsive to your initial attempt, okay, get curious. Hey, I'm sensing that, you know, there's a little hesitation here. What, you know, can you tell me what's going on? Right. You want to come up with phrases like, you know, I'm sorry, things aren't better between us. Uh, you know, and that's a whole other thing where you have phrases that illustrate that you're just trying to get to the heart of the issue and not trying to make this a personal attack. Um and so like once we walked her through that, yeah, I remember just the email I got after she had the conversation and she said, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm definitely going to quit the company in a couple of months after I have enough, you know, saved enough money on my own, but I don't know how I would have gotten this conversation without your help. Right. Oh, that's so, true. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's one, some one example anyway. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. I want to highlight some, some key points here. Yeah. Uh, you know, my background is clinical psychology. So uh, working with uh, everybody from couples to, at this point, almost 40 years ago, taking a left turn into leadership development and working with companies and executives at all levels. 
what you're doing is defined as working agreements. You're setting Mm -hmm. working agreements. So conflict resolution is really about how do we agree to engage with each other, right? You Mm -hmm. talked about this leader who calls and is upset that this subordinate isn't responsive at all hours. Well, what are the working agreements? What are the expectations? Mm -hmm. Um, I love that you started with, well, what's your desired outcome, right? What do you want out of this conversation? Um, Is it an apology? Is it a different working agreement? Is it uh, pay, Mm -hmm. right? If I pick up the phone, Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to pay me for that time or, yeah. right. So what is your, what is your desired outcome? Mm-hmm. Um, find 10 seconds of courage. That used to be a rule that we talked about. And I'm so glad you brought it up. I haven't heard that phrase in a really long time. And if you think about it, it really is eight to 10 seconds of true courage to state what it is that you believe in. And mm-hmm. It is so important to remember that, that it doesn't, it's not like you're going into a long-term battle. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is say what you believe in, and that takes eight to 10 seconds. So finding that 10 seconds of courage is is mm-hmm. huge. You talked about the, um, you talked about what I would call the 24-hour rule, which is mm-hmm. um, if you're a hothead, do wait 24 hours Mm -hmm. if you're the ostrich and bury your head in the sand and maybe it'll go away or maybe Mm -hmm. they'll die and I won't have to (laughs) deal with this or whatever, right? But that you owe it to yourself to take care of it within 24 hours. There you go. Right. And so if you, right, if you're the hothead, wait, if you're avoidant, push yourself. There you go. You are listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. Wayne Purnell. You know you are bigger than the life you are leading. It really is time to attend to that thing you've wanted to do or have, but you've been putting off. It's time to step into that dream you've parked for someday. It's time to claim true well-being, both personally and professionally, without giving up the success that got you here. It's time to check out Dr. Purnell's signature small group retreat, the Exponential Success Summit. Explore ExponentialSuccessSummit.com. Seats are extremely limited as this is a very special small group event. www.ExponentialSuccessSummit.com. You talked about scripting critical phrases and staying ahead and what came to mind again was something you referenced earlier which was chess mm-hmm. right scripting critical phrases it's just it's so important a la chess you want to know where you're going so what phrases are you going to say to kind of guide the conversation mm-hmm. rehearse that um and rehearse it i'm gonna add a plus one to what you said which is rehearse it in various ways Mm-hmm. So you could rehearse it with true compassion. Mm-hmm. You could rehearse it and be very direct and very forceful. Yeah. Um, right. Or you could rehearse it as a question, as an inquiry. Right. And have those as various kinds of forms of, 
you know, this really matters to me. I'm wondering, or this is my demand, right? Mm. And it's like, get really clear, ground yourself. So so I love, I love all of that. um, You, you know, you've got this, this really grounded place and then follow through. Mm. And the truth is follow through means different things to different people. Mm. And it really gets back to what's your desired outcome. You follow Mm. through to the point that you that you get the outcome you wanted, or you reach an agreement either with the other person or yourself um, that, all right, we got a reasonable outcome. It wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes yeah. people go into conflict going, I'm going to go in and I'm going to tell that guy what, you know, what I think <laughs> of him and he's going to apologize and pay me yeah. a ton of money after he apologizes. And you get to a point of, oh, you know, the person says, I didn't realize I was being an ass, you know, it's like, I didn't know that that calling you like was going to bug you that much. Sorry. Um, And that could be the outcome. That could be exactly what's needed. Um, And again, this is all about working agreements. You do it in, in your house, you do it at at work, you can do it in the community. Um, And I think it's really important. So good steps. I, um, I sort of, you know, put my, kind of uh interpretation all over that and i love uh, i I love i love that you walk people through this this is awesome Mm -hmm. Uh, do you have another example and and yeah sure interpret of course of course we what we want this is what we serve up you know they make this a really you know really nice steak dinner right we want to give them some substance uh, another great example that comes to mind, yeah, um, another Asian leader, he recently got promoted and he inherited the team that in- included a guy who has been with the company for like 10 years, uh, got passed over for promotions with his two previous supervisors and, you know, was upset at the fact that he didn't get a promotion, even though he felt like he deserved one at this point. But when my uh, client had dug a little deeper, he realized that, you know, that both supervisors tried to go over feedback with them on things that he needed to improve upon. But every time they did, he would just lock up and get defensive. And, you know, maybe he just didn't like the feeling of feeling inadequate, or he just didn't like to admit that maybe he needed improvement or something. But, you know, he, so this leader comes to me and he's asking me, how do I get him to take my feedback seriously? Right. Because I, I don't want to promote him just because he wants the promotion. Right. That he's like, that would reflect poorly on me. And so similarly, we walked through the framework just to say, well, what do you want this conversation to mean? How do you want this to play out? Right. Is it, hey, I'm going to lay this on you and you just have to accept it. That's one outcome. Maybe not the best one, but it is realistic. Maybe you show him that you want him to have this promotion and it's going to involve some really difficult but necessary prerequisites. If you can, if you can sell yourself as an advocate, would that help the situation? Right. And so now he's starting to play around with scenarios to say, hey, you know what? Maybe this could go well if he makes sure he doesn't see me as like this obstacle, this gatekeeper versus like this person that's like, you know, this help they design a launching pad to help him, you know, take off. Right. Um, and we also had to make sure that he understood, Hey, like put a tripwire in place to say, as soon as he locks up, tell him that the conversation is over, you know, ask for his permission. Hey, 
I need to go over some things that may, you know, that may feel uncomfortable, but are necessary, but they're difficult. Are you willing to go through that? Like ask for his permission to discuss them. That way he's not being blindsided. Right. So we're starting to put all this on the table. Right. And that helps. Right. With the second step, which is what would make those 10 seconds of courage easier to drum up? Right. As a part of it is framing yourself as an advocate and not an adversary. Right. So that's one way to do it. And then, yeah, I kind of went out of order, but yeah, we script some critical phrases. We anticipated, okay, if he has a pattern of defensiveness, how do we want to counter it? Right. Um, hey, do you know, is there someone else on your team that is, can keep this confidential that you can practice with? Right. And then, hey, let me know how it goes. And the wrinkle I'm going to add on this one is that when you follow through, I realize that part of the, part of the maturation is to recognize you rather have tried and failed than to not try at all, right? Because mm -hmm. trying and failing gives you an experience to evaluate. And people don't realize what kind of gift that is. It took me a long time to realize, hey, you know what? Failure doesn't mean you're done. Failure means you're not done, right? Failure means you're just not at the finish line yet. And so I told him, I warned him, you know, this may not go well. We may plan all this and have all these great ideas and he may still lock up. And at the very least, you can make it very clear. Hey, if you're going to lock up, that's fine. It's your choice. And here are the consequences if you choose to continue to lock up, right? I cannot advocate for you if you do not, like, if you aren't willing to discuss my feedback in earnest in order to actually become the kind of leader management wants you to be. So, yeah, like. This is I, huge. Do, um, you know, I'm thinking about adolescence as you are saying all of this, that yeah. you know, be coming in and being somebody's ad advocate mm -hmm. versus adversary is huge. Yeah. And to recognize or to uh, get agreement that you are being that for the other person mm -hmm. and yeah. um, and all behavior, all behavior has consequence. And that it really is the choice of the other person. How do you want to show up? How do you want to be? Um, love this. Uh, I want to underscore again, like you, some brilliance there, Dr. Jerry. This is awesome. <laughs> uh, truly, just really good. I uh, uh, The whole idea of, well, how do I get somebody to take what I'm saying seriously is about the approach. And, you know, you're suggestion to ask for permission to discuss something um it's it puts the other person just in terms of negotiation it puts the other person in control mm -hmm. can i offer you some feedback can i do i have permission to to bring something up that is bothering me is it okay with you if I say something that's bothering me versus can I give you some feedback? Can I tell you what's wrong with you? Um, can I, you know, just own it? Like, do I have permission to share something that's been bugging me? That's huge. Um, yeah. So asking permission to discuss is a big thing. And how you approach that is also really important because that's the, def that's where you define whether you're an advocate or an adversary. Mm -hmm. Do I have permission to tell you what's wrong with you is so different than do I have permission to share with you what's bothering me? Huge, huge distinction. Um, I also, I want to celebrate this sentence big time. Like, do you know, okay, do you know, do you know the brilliance that I'm about to celebrate? 
You ready? I've already forgotten this, so go for it. Okay. <laughs> you said it just so casually. Yeah. And, and you were just like, you know, and it's this. Failure doesn't mean you're done. Mm-hmm. It means you're not done. And yeah. I just love that so uh, much. I love yeah. that so much. Um, that could be a t-shirt, you know, that's the, <laughs> that is so good. I um I might do my own blog post just based on that statement. And uh, and it's like, that's awesome. Take that, like, again, I mean, I highlight it for the audience because in a conversation, it's hard sometimes if you're just listening or if you're watching, it's hard to go, oh, that was good. I'll, you know, maybe I'll remember that. I highlight things specifically in my conversations with people so that it's clear. Failure doesn't mean you're done. It means you're not done. Fantastic. Really good. Really good. Um, This is awesome. Well, you mentioned uh, a framework. You mentioned that you had a website. Uh, Should we talk about going to uh, adaptingleaders.com? Sure. Yeah. Happy to, happy to give people a, a rundown. Yeah. All the goodies happen at the website, adaptingleaders.com. For the specific guide, you can go adaptingleaders.com forward slash guide. There's also a blog that's free where I like to summarize interesting and useful leadership books, or, you know, maybe I just, you know, go on a, a coaching rant, you know, with like, you know, five, you know, I do have a fun post on like five ways make uh, dancing helps you become a better leader off the dance floor, you know, so that's a fun one. Um, Yeah. And then, yeah, it's a schedule. We want to schedule a 30 minute call, you know, on the house just to get a taste of coaching, see what it can do for you. Sure, man. It's all there. That's awesome. Jerry, tell me, um, you mentioned the dojo and a lot of people don't know that, you know, when you practice on a dojo, the, the saying for me was you you know you die a thousand times on the mm-hmm. map so that yeah. you don't die out on the street. Mm-hmm. Um, what art form did you study? I did I did kung fu growing up, That's you know, awesome. and uh, yeah, I mean, I you know it did. I wish to pay more dividends now, Doctor Wayne, <laughs> because you know I. At some point, some friends taught me because like the art itself is great. And the, a, a friend who was also in the martial arts made a great distinction where he said martial arts aren't for self-defense, they're for self-development. But, you know, at the end of the day, you still want to know how to spar, you know, in case someone, you know, can say someone needs them if it comes down to that. Because, yeah, I mean, the nice thing is you recognize that actual like real life fights are quick and dirty. And, you know, it's not like the choreographed things that you see on movies. Right. And, you know, they they brandish the knife for for dramatic effect. And then you realize in real life, you you don't find out about uh, who has a knife until it's too late. Right. Like they've already stabbed you. (laughs) So, yeah, it could come out of nowhere. Oh, there it is. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, no, it's, uh, it is true. And it's, it's interesting because this goes back to conflict resolution. Like I, it's, it's great. I started studying Kung Fu when I was 12 and then I shifted to, uh, Shotokan Karate and Aikido to an Aikido, uh, with traditional weapons as well. So that's been a long journey and my start was Kung Fu. It was, it was great. And Along the way, pretty much all of the philosophy, and this ties back to conflict resolution, 
a, all of the philosophy about self-development through the martial arts was the best fight is the one that you're not in, right? You, mm. You're not training to be in a fight. You're training not to be in a fight. Yeah. Right? That it's yeah. like, don't you train in martial arts so that you never have to use martial arts. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the... Uh, when you learn conflict resolution skills, it's the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. If you understand how conflict works, you can enter a conversation in a way where there actually is no conflict mm -hmm. because you're entering, you're entering where the other person is and, and guiding it versus mm -hmm. colliding with it. Yeah. Right. It's a very, um, it's a very round style, circular style of, um, of, of engagement. Yeah. You know, I said yeah. that I learned Shotokan, which is very linear, mm -hmm. um, and Aikido and Aikijitsu, which is very round and circular and, mm. and the entry and the use of energy mm. is, is very similar in conflict resolution. Mm. Right? Where's yeah. the other person's intent? And what's your intent and how do you match that? And how do you move that? And um, that's where it becomes magical. And I, I love that, that you've got that grounding. I love that you use salsa. I love that uh, you use your own development along the way, because that is, it is so potent and important. And the other thing around coaching is that, you come through something and now you have a perspective that you can offer others. Mm. Um, one of the things that I recommend for those seeking coaching is to make sure that the coach isn't still trying to heal by, by providing coaching to others that you've actually mm. come through it. You're mm. at a place of, I see it. I have a perspective. Yes, I'm still growing, but my perspective is such I can guide you. Um, a lot of new coaches are like, uh, they're just so emotionally involved that it's not great coaching. Mm. You, right. You've come through it. You've had, you speak about your experiences from a place of perspective, not a place mm. of, you know, those darn, uh, jobs I had and grr. And it's like, you understand what happened in those jobs. And you understand who you are as a coach when people come to you. So um, I think that's, I think it's really great. And you smile when you talk about your blogs, which I think is also great. That it's like you have, you have love for the uh, content that you produce. And I, I, I always look for that. So I'm really, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Um, I'm going to mention your website one more time. Sure. Um, and then. It's called adaptingleaders.com, adaptingleaders.com forward slash guide if you want Jerry's guide. Um, anything else? Is there something you were hoping I would ask you that I didn't? Is there a point you were hoping to make that uh, we didn't get to yet? Oh, I mean... I could throw on, this is more of a like a spur of the moment kind of thing. I thought we covered things pretty well. And it, it's just... It's like you talk about chi, right? And you talk about just it's less it's less about force and more about finesse, right? When you realize, hey, you don't have to force anything, uh, yeah. very rarely will that go in your favor. 
um because you can force something i've I've done it before and it, it didn't work out well um and even if you get the result you want in the short term you know you'll you lose the relationship long term um and I think it's just a it's just such a beautiful conversation when you know this this is a dance like any other right it's like True. okay what happened here with so I just want to say you know thank you for you know this, this space where we can just kind of express ourselves and improv and and co-create you know a conversation that I, I hope pays dividends for your for your uh your audience yeah I am certain that there are nuggets that are being taken away today so yeah. I I do I appreciate you I appreciate your being here um, you know, it's interesting. I never, I won't say never, I very seldom mm-hmm. get a chance to meet the guests that I have on. We mm-hmm. communicate via you know, website and via email mm-hmm. and it's like, hmm, sounds like fun. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and we did co-create and mm-hmm. that is, uh, that in itself is a lesson in mm-hmm. that when you co-create with somebody, you have the mm-hmm. courage and that courage comes from, I believe I'll figure it out, mm-hmm. right? This person yeah. isn't, right? the that there's a trust in the other person mm-hmm. and most important that there's a trust in yourself and that mm-hmm. um, that is part of the dance. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this is, it goes beyond, you know, our current topic. And, mm-hmm. and that is the topic of you can, you can meet whoever you want. You can mm-hmm. talk to whoever you want. You can find your voice in whatever situation because you believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, a la the martial arts, you keep your center, even mm-hmm. if chaos is happening around you, you keep your center. So um, really great, Jerry. Thank you so much for being here. Um, adaptingleaders.com forward slash guide, Dr. Jerry Fu. Uh, thank you for being here. Really a pleasure. Thanks, Dr. Wayne. Yeah, loved it. Loved it too. Thank you. Well, this is One Sharp Sword cutting through to what matters most. I've been your host, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the Exponential Success Coach with me today, Dr. Jerry Fu. All righty. We will see you here next time. Thank you for listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the breakthrough success coach and your powerful presence mentor.